thank you anjali um, such a pleasure to uh, be with you all virtually at least um, hopefully uh, very soon we'll be able to meet each other um, am i audible to everyone and can can i be seen yes both okay so let me just uh, share my uh, slides and then start with the paper uh, i'll be having a presentation as well as the slides so i hope i'll be able to negotiate both together um share my presentation and Yeah. Hmm. Can you see the presentation? Yes. Yes. Okay. Right. Uh, but just as uh, Shraddha, just move yes. it back and forwards a bit. Yes. Yeah. Give it a try. Yeah. Can you see the second slide? Yes. Yes. Great. Great. Yeah. And now the first. Okay. Do I can't see uh, myself here, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. Um. Uh, on the 29th of January 1922, exactly 99 years ago, uh, the Mahar Parishad of Central Provinces and Bihar held. a three day session in nagpur it discussed and i quote the usual issues pertaining social political and educational progress of the untouchables unquote the the unusual highlight of the session which specially found mention in the public advertisement on the front page of the vijay maratha uh, which was a weekly newspaper was that the son of our most revered badshah the prince of wales is scheduled to visit nagpur on the 30th of january hence the representatives of the mahar brethren are exhorted not to miss the opportunity to have a darshan a sighting of the prince unquote such public displays of affection for the british royals by the colonial indian subjects do not find any place in the popular imagination of the history of modern india today this in spite of the fact that an average marathi student in a maharashtra state board school learns the history of the indian freedom struggle at least thrice before matriculation this hypomnesia the erasure of memories that do not conform to the anti colonial narrative is understandable for a post colonial society i argue however that such a monochromatic representation of the struggle for creation of the indian nation as if it were an epic battle between the good nationalists and the bad colonialists has engendered a constricted understanding of the indian modernity in general and the processes involved in the making of the indian nation in particular the present paper is an attempt to read the various references to the british royals in marathi writings of the modern period broadly ranging between 1848 shatapatre and 1922 vijay maratha in the light of this argument this is of course not to say that there are no references to the royals beyond this time frame in fact there is ample scope for their exploration 
as they came in sanskrit bengali odia hindi among many other languages and across different time periods as well i have restricted the scope of this study largely due to my limitations of uh, resources the text consulted for this particular paper it is hoped will offer an opportunity for us to understand the various points of view about the british royalty as manifested in the world of marathi speakers ranging from the harsh critical to the unabashedly loyalist with many shades in between this variety might make us aware of the multi-hued nature of the colonial indian society which responded to the colonial realities in many different ways which often surprises the conveniently labeled extremists can be seen writing heartfelt obituaries for the queen and the reformers accused of fraternizing with the enemy have cited historical examples of english kings being forced to accept popular demands for political rights it is hoped that a survey of such a variety of sources may help us understand the reasons behind the present day contestations about the events from the colonial past it is further hoped that this might eventually help us refashion the narratives of maharashtrian history which are created for public consumption finally such a sensitive and textured understanding of the colonial past may help us realize that indian modernity and the creation of the indian nation are phenomena that have come into being as a result of multiple interests objectives and methods and the yardsticks of modern nationalism are not applicable universally and monolithically one of the earliest authors to speak up about the colonial conquest was lokahitavadi writing his shatapatre 108 letters to the editor of the weekly prabhakar having served as a colonial administrator lokahitavadi is usually understood as an author who advocates who advocated rigorous social reforms and offered a stringent self critique of the high castes for being selfish and parochial and thus responsible for the loss of political power as such he is seen as an admirer of the english however when it came to the matters of governance and administration lokahitavadi opined that the colonial rule was in fact an opportunity to bring about political and social reform he cited the examples of king john and the demand for magna carta king charles and the popular uprising against him as also the exile of king james juxtaposing them against the indian understanding of monarchy lokahitavadi opined and i quote such uprisings have been unheard of in india he quoted the sanskrit maxim raja harati sarvasvam tatra ka paridevana that is when the king robs you of everything is lamenting not futile unquote however he argued that one can look up to the examples of the english kings and learn that it is indeed possible to initiate political reforms and to bring a king down on his knees if he pursues repressive policies thus as early as 1850 with the aim of improving the indian polity and administration lokahitavadi was citing the cases of popular pressure influencing the english royals 
it certainly was a novel way of advocating reforms. Writing within 20 years of the Shatapatri, but unlike Loth, Lokahitavadi, Jyotira Phule did not seem to advocate the idea of the English royals as rulers that need to be reigned in. Sincerely believing the Queen Victoria's proclamation of 1858, Phule felt that improving the lives of the downtrodden people was a responsibility which needed to be shouldered by the Queen. In his tract called The Cunning of Brahmins, Brahmanamsi Kasab, published in 1869, that is just a few monsoons before the famous, infamous Deccan riots, Fule exhorted the queen to be answerable for the loss of livelihood as experienced by the debt-ridden cultivators, as he stated in no uncertain terms, its onus was on the queen herself. I quote, Rani Bai Shoduna Pahi, Papahe Tuja Shiravara, Kayatu Zababa Denara. How will you answer to this responsibility? He lauded the initiative of the queen as she set an example for the world by abolition of slavery. And I quote, Sarva Jagala Dhadatvadila Bandakele Gulama Karanala Shoda Swatacha Jyoti Ravacha Kalavato Rani Baisa Sodavi Gulama Kelyasa. Unquote. He asked her to visit and grant freedom for the enslaved people. Contrary to popular perception, Fule did not mince words as he asked the queen, how can you sleep peacefully when you are the owner of the flock? The ballad of Chhatrapati Shivaji composed in the same year 1869 by Fule concluded with the indictment that the power of the queen in India is not as alert as Fule would like it to be. This is because the Brahmanical power reigns supreme everywhere. Even the collectors, district collectors that is, they cannot counter the authority of the Brahmin bureaucracy. I quote, Satta tuji rani bai hindustani jagruta nahi jikade tikade brahmana shai dole uguduna pahi. Thus, Fule's engagement with the royals was not that of adulation and admiration alone. He admired the progressive elements of the British royalty, but did not flinch from making the royals aware of the ground reality. Later in 1876, when he was invited for a dinner with the Prince of Wales, he shared the table dressed like a common farmer. These examples from Lokahitavadi and Fule demonstrate that their writings about the British royals need not be considered as those of loyalists and anglophiles, but one may view them as the initial articulations of a dialogue with the colonial monarchs initiated by the subjects who sincerely believed that they were as much of British subjects as an Englishman living in England. The disillusionment began to set in in the later years of the 19th century. The frank assertion for rights came to be replaced by docile avowals of loyalty to the crown, making respectful requests for the royal blessings by descendants of former rulers who now signed off as the humble servants of the English crown. In 1876, 
when the prince of wales visited india raghunath rao vithal vinsurkar composed a sanskrit poem entitled shrimad prince of wales asya bharatavarsha yatra vrittam an account of the indian journey of the prince of wales vinsurkar's epithets occupy three lines of the title page here he is a first class sardar companion of the most exalted order of the star of india and raja umdat ul mulk bahadur quite a mouthful considering that the prince of wales is named simply as the prince of wales anyway the author composed the sanskrit poem and also got it translated into english because he felt that and i quote this book deserves to be read by cultivated minds both natives and europeans unquote the book in itself is a well crafted panegyric describing in perfect metrical verses things such as england adeshah rajadhani that is london victoria radni yuvaraj pravasagetu bharat desh varnanam tasya mumbaiyam nivasah and upasamhara just one example of the changed narrative about the english royals from this poem may be cited here anyaya varti jagati pati durnivar pida turan sakal bharat varsh sansthan लोकान निरीक्ष दयया परमेश्वरेण विक्टोरिया तदवने खलु योजितास्ते एंड द ट्रान्सलेशन अप्रूव्ड बाय प्रोफेसर आरजी भंडारकर नो लेस एंड आई कोट वेरीली वाज विक्टोरिया अपॉइंटेड टू प्रोटेक्ट ऑल द पीपल ऑफ इंडिया बाय द ग्रेट गॉड आउट ऑफ हिज मर्सी सीइंग देम अफ्लिक्टेड विथ इररेमेडिएबल मिसरीज ब्रॉट ऑन बाय अनजस्ट किंग्स अनकोट it may not be out of place to mention here that the author was a descendant of the famous sardar winsurkar family that served the peshwas from whom the british had conquered most of the bombay presidency region this poem and the sentiments evoked therein are representative of the literature which addressed described and exalted the english royals in the hope of gaining or continuing to receive what they thought were royal favors the satyashodak samajists throughout the reign of the queen victoria continued their attempts to communicate the living conditions of the indian cultivators to the queen the dinabandhu of 7th october 1894 ran a poem hoping to communicate the lived experiences of the farmers with the queen maddesha bandhavano kalava varta madhi radnila ji sahana hot nahi ki amucha शेष आयुष्याला जन्मापासूनही आम्ही जिजविले शेतकीत या शरीरात परी एक दिवस नाही मिळाले पोटभर अन्न ते पुरा द लॉंग रेन ऑफ क्वीन विक्टोरिया मेंट दॅट देर वर अ लार्ज नंबर ऑफ रेफरन्सेस टू हर इन द लिटरेचर ऑफ नाईन्टीन सेंचुरी महाराष्ट्र परशुराम पंत गोडबोले अ कोलॅबोरेटर ऑफ थॉमस कॅन्डी composed the following poem in her honor saukhyachi purna khani chirasamaya aso amuchi mukhyarani amala he shirani manuni nije mukhe loka gaut gani jichi sarvatra thani sabalahi baguni joditi shatru pani victoria nishani dharuni chahukade chalati shuddha nani it's not great poetry of course but her majesty's financial and military power is amply underlined in the wordy couplet 
1897 was the year when the Queen completed 60 years of her reign. The Diamond Jubilee inspired a number of panegyrics as well as other writings about the English royals in general and the Queen in particular. 22nd June 1897 is a date remembered by the Maharashtrians as the day when the Tsafekar brothers assassinated the British Plague Commissioner of Pune, W.C. Rand. Aspersions were cast on Lokmanya Tilak for having incited the Chapekar brothers to punish the commissioner for his lack of respect for the local culture. The editorial of KST on this day, however, is the last of the three editorials entitled Maharani Sarkarsa Jai Jai Kar, Victory to the Queen and Her Government. The biggest surprise for me while researching for the source materials was the emotionally charged editorial of Kesri, which was written as an obituary to the Queen in 1901. The personal details about the Queen and her calm and composed demeanor, her sensitivity towards the Indian subjects and such other virtues described in the editorial make one wonder if one is indeed reading the Kesri. It is no surprise then that a school teacher in a girls' school in Hatkanangle near Kolhapur wrote a poem entitled Rani Geet to honor the Malikama Azma Maharani Victoria. The author, though unrelated to the Lokamanya, is called Govind Pandurang Tirak. The first benevolent act of the queen praised by the poet is the setting up of schools, not irrelevant considering that the poet is a schoolmaster. Prajevari Jeeva Pran Prabhuza Amavari Jeeva Pran Jnana Mrutaho Pyaya Sati Kelis Kule Nirman. Not all praise for the Queen stemmed from personal gratitude. Dondiram Namdev Kumbhan, an ardent Satyashodhak Samajist, wrote a tract entitled Vedachar, criticizing the high caste dominance within Hinduism. He concluded the text with a poem. English Rajasa Mana Upakara Jaya Jaya Kara Karatyatsa Manavite Hakka Karuho Lagale Thagavarjiyale Yatsekrupe Jaya Jaya Karatya Maharanitsa Diliyama Vacha Bolavaya Danya Rani Bai Tujaya Rajata Adnyanya Prata Dilednyana Dondi Rama Nitya Gunate Vakhani Mane Danya Rani Bai Tuchi. The gratitude for the queen in this case stems from the fact that the Queen had indeed assured that modern education would be available for her subjects, irrespective of their social status. Thus, it is important to understand that the motivating forces behind the Marathi speakers writing about the British royals were varied. The personal and the political were irreversibly intertwined. Going back to the Vijayi Maratha issues of 1922 mentioned at the beginning of this paper, we find that the prince was welcomed by a number of organizations. The Patil Parishad of the Bombay Presidency passed a resolution welcoming the prince, of, prince to India and affirming their allegiance to the royal crown. The resolution Vijayi Maratha dated 20th February 1922 reports was received favorably by the prince his secretary even communicated the prince's pleasure at the message of their allegiance and wrote that the prince was deeply concerned about the cause of the progress of the farmers and parties. 
another meeting was held in satara district to collect some funds for starting a boarding school for non brahmin students the news report in vijay maratha mentions that the meeting concluded with slogans of victory to the badshah george the fifth chatrapati shivaji maharaj and chatrapati shahu maharaj all in one breath the same issue reports that a public meeting of over 1500 suryavanshi matang people was held in kudar satara district the first resolution was of allegiance to the crown this was followed by demands for compulsory education decriminalization and the like a review of news reports of this period shows that the first resolution of any such meetings would always proclaim their rajanishtha allegiance to the crown the indian organizations seem to have devised a formal and normalized procedure of conveying their grievances and demands to the king in the hope that he might indeed make a difference to their lot sometimes the personal details of the lives of the english royals were also published for public consumption the panegyric by the schoolmaster tilak mentions that the queen gave birth to nine children of which seven survived the vijay maratha reports the badshah george has gifted jewelry worth 200000 pounds to his daughter princess mary as her wedding gift and that the princess has also received from the aga khan bejeweled binoculars to be used in the theater sometimes one wonders if there is veiled criticism implied in the ostensible declarations of loyalty for example the following snippet from the dinabandhu remarks that it indeed must be a cause of pleasure for all the loyal subjects of the queen that a professor of chemistry managed to remove the tar from the tarnished face of the queen's statue yethil wilson college atil professor tk gachar ya gujarati grahasthacha prayatnane maharani sahebancha putalyavaril damrache dag ajibat nighale he kalavnas amala phar santosh hot ahe ya putalyas vidrup karnyat ja dushtanche anga asel त्याचा हेतू सिद्धीस गेला नाही हे फार चांगले झाले असे म्हटले पाहिजे त्यांनी बऱ्याच मेहनतीने प्रयोग करून डाग साफ काढून टाकिले ही बातमी ऐकून साऱ्या राजनिष्ठ प्रजाजनांना आनंद झाल्या वाचून राहणार नाही टू कन्क्लूड द इंग्लिश रॉयल्स फॉर्म द सब्जेक्ट मॅटर ऑफ लार्ज बॉडी ऑफ लिटरेचर इन मराठी these literary pieces offer an insight into the different emotive forces behind the addresses descriptions panegyrics and criticisms aimed towards the royals one needs to have a textured understanding of these sources situating them in the contemporary ethos and the caste class location of the authors generalizations and labeling of persons as loyal loyalists or extremists seem to be not very useful considering the surprises that these literary sources throw at the researchers a detailed study of these and other source materials can enrich our understanding of the processes that led to the creation of the indian nation it may also be realized that indian modernity was a product of a criss cross of emotive factors and not a uniform and chronological journey from point a to point b thank you thank you so much uh, for this wonderful paper shraddha and uh,
Well, I'm requesting uh, the attendees to type in your questions in the Q&A box. And in the meanwhile, there is one question from um, uh, uh, from Polly, uh, Polly O'Hanlon, the moderator, uh, and I'll read it out aloud. So uh, could you say something about the way in which the government of India worked hard to make the public image of Victoria available for this kind of appeal? It's interesting in this connection that the 1858 proclamation that the government of India would not interfere with religious culture was depicted as coming from Victoria herself personally. Um, yes, thank you, Pauline, uh, for the very, very pertinent question. Yes, there was definitely a lot of uh, image making that was involved, brand building, if you like. Um, there were images of Queen Victoria that were published, that were uh, printed and distributed. Uh, one of the slides that I showed uh, spoke about, and if I may share it again. Um, yeah, here. Yeah, um, this is from a book uh, called as Vadu Darpan Mala, uh, which speaks about uh, Queen Victoria's photo. And uh, here the uh, lady asks, Master in Bai Ranila Pahavaya How can we see the queen's face if we want? And here the uh, other lady says that I've got a picture of the queen, uh, which is uh, it's a description essentially of a photograph of the queen that was uh, printed. Not not necessarily perhaps a photograph. I mean uh, an image of the queen that was distributed for um, as a collectible. Uh, there were pins also uh, and. Uh, commemorative uh, medals that were distributed. So a lot of image making, yes, definitely uh, happened. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's that's something that is quite remarkable, uh, considering that uh, the limited uh, means of uh, reading materials that were available for the people. Uh, yes, images were distributed, if I have answered your question. Thank you. Uh, okay, Shailen wants to add to that. Uh, Shailen, can you ask your question directly? You're, you're muted, Shailen. All right. Is that okay? Yeah. yeah. Right. I was, of course, uh, uh, drawn to the fact that uh, uh, the last of the mention says that, oh, don't you see her picture on the coin? And um, I would like to just to comment here so that th that particular depiction of the queen on the coin is actually unique to India. And there has been a lot of discussion that was going on on how to depict the queen in an Indian fashion. So it was obviously conceived uh, in a deliberate manner to appeal to the Indian audience because it is she's actually shown wearing a, a Mughal brocade kind of gown. And the previous portrait on the coins was not actually with um, any royal vestiges of sovereignty. So, for example, the East India Company coinage also had the picture of the queen, but she was shown without a crown, and she was just a kind of a, a, a sort of idealized uh, image, uh, as we see in, uh, in in like you know in public art, really. Whereas this particular um, later portrait that was launched in 1862 was based uh, and there is there, there is a huge discussion going on before two years prior to that on how that image was to be conceived. Yeah, thanks. 
Thank you, Shailen, for that uh, numismatic bit. Uh, really, thanks. Uh, there's a there's a um, comment and question uh, from Lee Schlesinger. Hello, Lee. Uh, may I read it, Anjali, or uh, sure, whatever is comfortable. <laughs> Go please ahead. do read it then. Um, uh, hold on. Did you publish that? Uh, okay. Yes. So Lee asks a bit of relevant ethnographic observation from 1976. Early in the days of Indira Gandhi's emergency rule, one of the leaders in a Satara village, which was active in the anti-British. Uh, Patri Sarkar movement of 1943 to 45 praised the Prime Minister's assertion of authority by referring to how good things were in the days of uh, the Vic Victoria Rani and uh, George Pancham. I published this report in 1977, says Lee. Being a rebellious nationalist and loyal to royal authority are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Shraddha's bringing nuance to colonial Maharashtrian history is most uh, is much welcome. Go ahead, Shraddha. Thank you, Professor Shleshinger. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, I mean, uh, she, especially the Queen Victoria, uh, she has become a part of uh, common parlance, as it were, because uh, um, till date, uh, people, uh, when when we question somebody who's you know thinking too much of, about you know themselves, we say, who do you think you are, you are Queen Victoria or not? So uh, <laughs> definitely uh, she has uh, entered common parlance as uh, as somebody who's an authoritative figure, as somebody who's uh, commanding a lot of respect and uh, attention and power. Uh, so uh, thank you, Professor uh, Shleshinger for your uh, comment. Um, I can see a couple of questions more from Bina and Prachi. Christians and also I think the next one is from Christian Novetsky. Ah, ah, okay. um, can it do you want me to read it? Uh, yes, yes, please. So he says, uh, thank you for this wonderful paper. I'm interested in the rhetorical effect of these appeals to the royals. For example, I see Fule's Abhanga to Queen Victoria in the light of other rhetorical uh, techniques such as his appeals to Parshuram to appear at his home, also in Gulamgiri. In other words, do you see this as both appeal to some vision of colonial liberalism, but also a critique of it at the same time? Um, and he says, sorry if you addressed this, but I kept losing internet. Uh, thank you, Christian, for the uh, wonderful uh, question. Uh, yes, definitely. Uh, uh, the powers of language, uh, as we had um, the opportunity to uh, discuss them in the Delhi conference, um, are uh, really, really, I mean, they're uh, fascinating. And the way one can use language to uh, ostensibly show respect and also to um, express veiled criticism, perhaps. Um, I, I think it's a it's a great uh, tool to evoke these dualities that uh, especially Fule is and uh, is the way he uses the language in a very, um, uh, for want of a better word, they see uh, rooted, not they see, yeah, they see is not the right word. In, in very rooted fashion, uh, his, his use of the Marathi language, his, his use of uh, uh, idiom of uh, uh, Bari and Mahari and 
the way he uh, tries to make connections between the uh, religion that is uh, popular with the masses and uh, with the uh, the kind of um, power structures that are um, that are uh, evident in the society uh, i think that definitely uh, the language is both an appeal to a vision of colonial liberalism trying to uh, trying to get more concessions trying to appeal to their uh, conscience as it were and also a kind of a critique at the same time uh, i am also saying that uh, fule does not mince words when it comes to uh, a very very uh, pertinent uh, 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 an issue which is which is really um, very close to his heart and he says that it is your responsibility to the queen especially uh, we know that uh, uh, the satyashodak samaj did a lot of work in the uh, deccan riots uh, and some of them were even arrested by the british and then released uh, there and a lot of they conducted a number of camps you know famine relief work so yes definitely uh, there was uh, this double intention when he was uh, addressing the queen thank you Christian. The next question. The next question is Babina Sanger. Uh, mm -hmm. She says, "Interesting paper, Professor Kumbhajkar. It reminds me of various panegyric write-up made in northern parts of India, where the people of Banaras and Mathura, especially, eulogize the British rule and Queen's rule. Perhaps it was more about seeking salvation in another authority, other than the old regime." It's more a comment than a question. It was truly an interesting paper to further look into the public image of empire. Do you have anything to add to that? Um, yes, thank you, Bina. And um, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. And I have come across um, a number of sources in uh, Hindi, written uh, also uh, sources in Urdu, sources in Farsi. Uh, in fact, this this uh, this conference that is going to happen later in the summer months uh, entitled vernacular victoria so looking forward to that as well but um, yes there there are uh, panegyrics written to the queen and to the royals uh, in many different vernaculars definitely thank you the next question is by prachi deshpande um, she says following on polly's question as someone who has watched all seasons of the crown with great interest and idly uh, follows Kate Middleton's fashion on social media from time to time. I'm wondering how we can understand Victoria as a media spectacle of the time with her familiar portrait and how to differentiate between the consumption of that media spectacle and British imperial propaganda more broadly. Can we separate the two at all? Mm. Consumption of the media spectacle and propaganda. Yeah, I think we can uh, separate the two uh, because uh, the people here were also quite aware of the fact that there was a lot of image making, there was a lot of brand building going on at the back end of the empire, you know, the imperial uh, powers that be. So uh, people seemed to uh, seemed to consume the propaganda that was uh, dished out to them. But there were also these attempts uh, of uh, subversion against the uh, royal authorities. Um, of course, it was not possible to uh, say um, negative things about the royalty in 
uh, in very harsh terms but acts such as the one that was uh, described uh, towards the end of the presentation that is starring the face of the uh, statue uh, or um, the the critique offered by the likes of um, chipunkar uh, about english rule in general uh, these definitely uh, do apply to the uh, royalty you know the royal uh, figures uh, as well so i think definitely there is a there is a disjuncture between what was given for consumption by the indian you know the colonial subjects and what were the true feelings what what was their uh, image in their minds yes there is a dis disjuncture between the two thank you prachi the next question is by suraj um he says thank you for your talk i was wondering what the response of marathi writers was to certain national events which had royals at the center stage do we see any difference in the way notions of social mobility mm -hmm. and popular imagination construction change solely on which royals and in what context are they being talked about one example that i have in mind is that of king george 5 and the delhi coronation episode and the celebratory way in which it was talked about in the deen mitra also do you see any perceptible seepage of this adulation and celebration among the quotidian people right from 1857 onwards mm -hmm. um i suppose i won't be able to answer all the questions of uh, suraj thank you though uh, but uh, one thing that comes to my mind immediately is that uh, uh, this this um, uh, george the 5th Uh, he was uh, a figure that was uh, kind of uh, forced upon and this is also um, relevant to the earlier question by prachi uh, so his image was forced upon uh, the minds of uh, the masses in uh, different fashions one of them being that uh, the the school going children were made to recite uh, a small poem uh, which was addressed to the uh, king george the 5th bobo panchama george of bhupati so on and so forth so vibhudamanya um, so on and so so, so um, the children were made to recite this poem uh, right at the beginning of their school day uh, every single day and many of the um, older generation people from the uh, last century um, they do remember these uh, poems and and they do uh of course uh, have stories to tell about the way uh, they were made to uh, recite the poems and also the way they made fun of these uh, poems so there is this um, duality yes definitely uh, if that answers your one of your questions suraj thank you um the next uh, is a comment by saili parande datar Uh, she says excellent paper shraddha kumbhojkar thanks for bringing out the nuances in local expressions we regularly find wrought iron mm -hmm. uh, iron uh, balconies depicting queen victoria along with shivaji maharaj and gandhi ji as part of uh, the decorative motif in colonial architecture in maharashtra yes yes there are some in uh, just near next to shanivar wada and saili knows them of course thank you saili uh the next question is by frank conlon and he says in 1967 i happened to be at the india office library where i learned that indian language posts 
received at Buckingham Palace for uh, translation. I was shown a postcard from a person in the Vidarbha region requesting that the king of Bidan assist in obtaining Bidan assist in obtaining a machine for clear uh, cleaning his village. It may have been a reference to a Hoover. It was not clear, but it revealed a remarkable continuation of the idea of British royalty as a source of health. Yes, thank you, Professor O'Connor. Uh, definitely, the the they were seen. The royal uh, royals were seen as uh, saviors. They were seen as uh, people, you know, uh, figures who were like last resort. And uh, this fitted in very well with the notions of monarchy, sovereignty from the previous uh, eras as well. Uh, because the way uh, Queen Victoria is addressed as Malika Azama or uh, George is uh, called Batsha. Um, the prince is also uh, getting a lot of attention in a language which is not spoken really by anybody, that is Sanskrit. So um, this, this continuum from previous uh, traditions or previous ideas of uh, respect and honor uh, definitely uh, gels with the example given uh, cited here by Professor O'Connell. Thank you so much, sir. Um, the next question is by Dev Kumar. Um, he says that the paper gives very interesting insights and his question is, is there any quote negative? He puts negative in quotes. Is there any negative textual presentation of Queen Victoria in the 19th century? Hmm. Thank you, Dev Kumar. Um, I could not find much of a negative textual representation in the in the uh, text that I have so far consulted. Um, possibly for the uh, reasons that uh, were earlier discussed in one of the answers. That is, uh, there were of course censorship, and there were uh, restrictions on um, you know articulation of your uh, how much ever uh, of a. Um, disillusionment or displeasure that people had about the king. Um, so uh, not much of a negative representation, especially the textual one, uh, has been seen by me. But of course, there are acts of like vandalism as described in one of the examples. And, and there is critique of uh, the English rule in general, but not of the queen in particular, uh, possibly also because she's a lady and obviously she will be part also creeps in perhaps uh, but uh, not many negative textual representations are seen by me thank you and, and i think this might be professor uh -huh. conlon has uh, frank conlon has one final question this might be the last question for this session yeah. so uh, the question is um, the degree to which the Marathi press referenced the Queen as a widow. Yes, yes. Uh, thank you, Professor Professor Connellan, for uh, this uh, uh, input. Uh, definitely, uh, the Queen is uh, shown uh, as a lady who is a sati, a pativrata, uh, somebody who has uh, uh, lived a full life. Uh, uh, these these references references to the personal uh, life of the queen um, are I think indicative of the fact that uh, her uh, being a family person, her being a mother, her being a mother of many children, her being a widow. I think these are ways in which the masses could connect with her 
that she just uh, just a very very respectable lady just like uh, you and me that was the sense probably that was uh, attempted to be conveyed but also that was the impression uh, because one sees it all the time in many different uh, many different works that is uh, the queen is seen as a mother as a as a devoted wife as a pativrata um, especially the the sanskrit poem by vinsurkar describes her uh, it it kind of gives a, an explanation as to why the prince of wales is here in india and not the queen herself and the poem uh, says that the queen is old and now she has to look after so many subjects and uh, you know the journey through the seas is dangerous so the queen has sent her own son uh, as her representative as she is interested in knowing the plight of the indian cultivators so on and so forth so her femininity her uh, motherhood her being a family person is definitely something that is um, uh, that is readily accepted uh, by the indian masses thank you